this week at Windsor back again. Good afternoon, Dr. J. Good afternoon, Arden. You don't waste any time. Back straight into it, man. Straight into it. I feel like last week was a bit of a dud. Why? I don't know. I just felt like we could raise the bar. Okay. And we, well, we certainly are this week. We definitely are. Definitely, definitely are going to raise the bar this week. Although, ironically, it just means less of me. <laughs> Which is, that is very ironic because I would say you actually bring a lot to this. Any church stuff you just wanted to cover off on first before we get to the meaty bits? Well, you're going to love this. There's a church meeting this weekend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been so long since we've had one. Yeah. Sorry, we joke about this too much. but <laughs> Church meeting this Sunday after the morning service? Yeah, after the morning service. Uh, this is our regularly scheduled meeting, so these happen four times a year. We're just going to be talking about the interim strategy that we put in place. I don't know if you noticed, but we've started looking for a youth pastor. I have indeed, yeah. Yep. Any names coming forward yet? Do we have like a, a short list? Yeah. I don't know that we've culled the list, but we definitely have some applicants and we have begun scheduling interviews. So yeah, really, cool. really excited. Well, it, it looks like that's all happening rather quickly because these searches can often take quite a while. Yeah, they can take a while. And, and I wouldn't say we're trying to rush the process, but we're trying to eliminate the lag. So if there's things that we can do on our end, on the front side as a search committee to make sure that uh, the information gets out there, the advertisement gets sent around. Um, that We'll do that if we have an applicant we like and we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and schedule an interview even while the application window remains open. That's because on the back end when a church has to officially weigh up whether a candidate's going to be called into the position, that can take some time. All right, cool. Anything else exciting on the, on the way? I feel like I had like three more things, but... Um, I feel like you're rushing me, so I'm going to just <laughs> stop. <laughs> Check the website, www.wdbc.org.au. Now, most most folks at church would have heard by now, of course, about the revival that's been happening over mm -hmm. in the U.S. And being an American yourself, and you would know everyone across the nation, of course. All of them. You've got a, uh, a friend over there who you caught up earlier this week, caught up with earlier this week, um, who's actually been there and checked it out. That's right. His name is Barry Schaefer. He's actually someone who's joined my extended family. That's how I got to know him. He married a cousin of mine, an older cousin of mine. Uh, but I've got to know him over the last few years. And when I was back at the States, caught up with him in October and felt like he was somebody we'd be good to have a conversation with. Well, then we come around and he told me that he'd actually been down to Asbury to check out what's going on there. So Asbury Theological College is a place where they have been training people for ministry. It's a place where people go. Uh, it's a Christian college, Christian university. And at this chapel, which they hold a few times a week, uh, at one of the sessions, uh, and Barry will unpack this in the interview, at one of the sessions, it just didn't end. So they the the speaker actually went home, but the worship band was like, we're just going to keep playing another song. And people started coming back in, and the service lasted for two weeks. Wow. So that people started driving from all around. Uh, Barry himself was a couple hours away. He drove down. He has a bit of history with the institution as well. And a lot of the reports that we're hearing out of that is just a place where people want to linger. They want to sit with the Lord. They want to be renewed. And yeah, it's, it's really, it's a really encouraging thing. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about with Barry, but he has such a rich story. And I think a gift for explaining how God is working in his life and uh, little things that he sees. I really think people are going to be blessed by that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it'll be fantastic to hear a firsthand account of someone that's been there. You caught up with, with Barry over the phone earlier. Let's, uh, let's go to that interview now and we'll come back later on. 
Well, it's my great opportunity today to be joined from afar by Barry Schaefer. Barry, thanks for coming on to This Week at Windsor. It's so awesome that we can connect today. Love it. Love it across the miles, across the sea. Love that we're being able to, yeah, it's good, good to be with you, Jonathan, big time. Now, we have a personal history, but tell us a little bit about yourself professionally. What do you do? What's your what's your sphere of ministry at the moment? Yeah, a couple spheres, actually. So uh, I'm a, I guess you'd say I'm originally a youth pastor by trade. Uh, that's how I started in ministry. Then out of that, launched a, a Bible study ministry called Inward, as in I-N-W-O-R-D. That's been the full-time gig, I guess you might say, for many years. Though over the last few years, with now two kiddos, seven and eight-year-old, and if there was video, you know, you'd see this gray hair in this head. <laughs> I, I would be saying, I, I know I look way too young to have kids that old. Uh, but, uh, of course, the personal connection married to your, your wonderful cousin, Jessica. With the, the influx of, of family needing um, this, you know, more sustainability in terms of benefits, things like that. So I initially have been working with a, a local hospital uh, as a patient rep. Uh, but that now has evolved into working as chaplain with our local hospital. And I'm now actually part-time with that, which gets me back to closer to full-time within Word, the Bible study ministry, and then also serve as an elder uh, with our church as well. Now, take us back before you were involved in youth ministry. Can you tell us a bit of your own personal journey to faith in Christ? When did faith become your own, would you say? I actually am blessed to have been raised, reared in a... Uh, in a Christian home, I mean, and, and not just Christian in name. I mean, mom and dad were, I, I saw the reality of, of the Christian faith in their lives, you know, and, and probably even just every night at bedtime after we're tucked in, seeing them at the side of the bed praying, you know, 30 minutes. And I'm, wow. <laughs> I'm like, this, I, I wasn't saying it at the time. At the time, I'm saying, how can they do that? But in my <laughs> mind, I'm, I'm, I know the subconscious is this must be real. You know, this mm. is, this is real. And so, but really, when I was nine years old, we had a, a revival. You know, it's funny to use that term now, but, you know, it was scheduled. It wasn't spontaneous. Um, and, uh, but, you know, one of those services every night. And there's one night I became really aware of sin and hell and the difference between hell and heaven. I wanted to make sure I was in heaven. And so uh, I had a, a just, you know, the old classic walk to the elder and had, a, had an experience, true salvation experience. Yeah. And then, and then early teen years really locked it in. Actually, was baptized in a 13, and then went into college. I had about three things on my mind. I had architecture on my mind. <laughs> I had mass communication on my mind, and and ministry was always in the back of the mind. Home for a year, working for a newspaper as a writer, and then accepted a position back to Anderson in the admissions office. And it's interesting. The admissions rep, at, the admissions rep at Anderson, the people that I worked with. Once we got done with our admissions careers, we either went into sales or ministry. It was a funny, funny thing. And I, I was with the ministry route. Um, you know, you're working with youth groups, you're working with, with kids talking about their careers and God's call in their lives. And, and that's what just really helped kind of lock in the, the ministry call. I mean, I quit, I quit backing into it and finally just turned around and walked full straight on in the ministry. And, and that's what Lynn led me to, to youth ministry. I, I had several, this is probably going from teenage years into college and into the college years. I might've had a half a dozen experiences of what I would just call reference points, you know, that you can look back and it's like, man, God was so real in that moment and, and such a no doubt experience. I realized also another cognitive moment 
was when, as I'm in public relations, going through the, I went, I had a PR internship with, with a hospital um, on that track. And I realized that, you know, the, the objective of a PR person working in a corporate setting is to help that corporation make more money, ultimately, you know. And I, I realized that does not motivate me. Uh, money does not motivate me, you know. And that was probably a, a real a point of realization, too. Of, so maybe I need to be looking at something else, you know, thinking uh, things that have different motivations that I could get motivated for. Yeah. I happen to know a little bit of your personal story, but I wonder if you could tell our listeners about Dana and tell tell us about mm -hmm. uh, your, your life with her. Uh, thank you. Um, well, it's funny. We met. My, our sophomore year in college, and she was just somebody who, who just made me laugh. You know, we went deep quick and, and just had, we were, we developed a great friendship even before the idea of dating entered either of our minds. You know, of course it entered my mind first. And, um, and then interesting, Jonathan, we spent most of our college years, me wanting it to be more, wanting it to be a relationship. But she saw me, and I was that big brother, that that uh, special friend, you know. And friends of she, she, yeah, yeah. And you know, once once you get in that category, you never get out. You know, it's, it's a tough. <laughs> and then we graduated. We we did stay close friends. And there's a lot more detail in that as well. But uh, she even got involved in a very long term relationship. She moved to Nashville, where she was from. And then uh, we eventually lost touch. She didn't realize I had left Anderson as the admission rep came to the youth pastor. And it wasn't through until another mutual friend passed that along. And and we started getting back in touch when she had broken up with that relationship. But then finally, we actually um, met to go skiing at a little ski place in uh, Paoli Peaks, Indiana. So this is now 10 years after college. And it was on that trip where a switch flipped wow. in her. Mm -hmm. And um, I eventually got the love letter from her that I always wanted, you mm -hmm. know, within a couple of days of that trip. And and so really it was you know you you could say it was like ten years of unrequ unrequited love that that finally got to culminate. So we got married in in ninety three and truly Jonathan it was a you know every day I would say I can't believe I got to marry Dana mm. you know it was that kind of relationship and fun and yeah we had our had our things and points of tension but uh, but very good. Um, and then she uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, six years after we were married. Um, we knocked it out. It was, it was not a easy case, but we did the chemo and double mastectomy and all these kinds of things. And then actually was clear for seven years wow. and thinking we're good. And actually, but at that seven year mark, that's when it came back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Recurrence. And then that's a toughie. And, and, you know, as I, as I say this too, and as we talk about this, I know that there could certainly be people listening who are being touched by breast cancer right now or have been. And um, I always want to qualify. My story is not anybody else's story, mm. you know, and, and every every situation is different. Every person's body responds differently, not only to the cancer, to the treatment in different ways. So, you know, that's I think that just needs to be said. Um, so because we, we then battled for, for three years and then she passed in uh, December of 09. And and yeah, that was that was a tough one. That was and I might say a first test of trust. Mm. You know, it wasn't a test of, is God there? Uh, how could he let this happen? It wasn't that type of thing, but it was more a test of what if his promises don't really come true? Wow. You know, what if, and even from here I am, by this time, we had had inward established for 15 years maybe, and, 
And I was like, hey, I was kind of the Bible guy in one sense in certain settings, you know. And I thought, what if I've kind of oversold the Bible? You know, what if it actually over promises and under delivers, you know, mm. and, and what am I going to do with that? And I, that, that's the kind of thing I was wrestling with. The thing though, about that time and what I've begun to learn about suffering and loss is, um, you know, well, God, God very graciously entered into the situation with what we've called God stamps. You know, for us, for me, it was a rainbow and, and deer, there's a couple of just incredible stories, another podcast for another time, um, another episode for another time. But they were just merciful reminders mm-hmm. that he's with me, mm-hmm. you know, and with us. And mm-hmm. as we were journeying and, and fighting it with us, and, and even even the, the first time a rainbow was seen at a, at a very divinely coincidental time, it was a double rainbow. Because when I first saw the rainbow, it was so weird. I was like, well, I, I'm gonna, I can interpret this one of two ways. Either A, everything's going to be okay, hmm. or B, God's going to be with us no matter what. Hmm. And then my cousin Carl, who I was with, uh, he saw that. He looked at it more closely and said, well, it's actually a double rainbow. And he said, so it's both, wow. <laughs> A and B. Hmm. And that that's what I found to be true. Hmm. It, it really is. Uh, you know, And it has been. Everything has been okay. I mean, obviously, it did not go the way I was praying at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he certainly... Uh, was with me no matter what and and has continued to be and and I think that that's the that's a little bit of the suffering lesson that I feel like I'm supposed to to share about you know and kind of that Psalm 73 I will tell of his great deeds you know because that was there were so many weird merciful reminders of his presence we we will suffer at some point you know and all the scriptures that talk about suffering it's not if it's when it's being able to have a, a, a mature picture of God that helps you through that and pass that. Yeah. Back to the beginning of your story, you said you were saved out of revival. You, you, there was a sort of revival meeting and, and you, you found yourself there and that was kind of a, kind of a kickoff moment for you. I saw recently, thank you, Facebook. I saw recently that you were able to go and visit Asbury. Can you kind of give a little bit of context for those who may, might not be aware of what's going on at Asbury right now? Um, and then, and then I'd love to ask a few questions about that experience if that's all right. And just some, some generic objective context. So, you know, on February 8th, they had their normal chapel service. The chapel speaker, and I, there's, I've gotten some inside baseball information. He delivered a message. I've actually listened to it. Mm. To me, it's incredible. Of course, I know what happened after. For him, he thought it was a dud. Wow. And he actually he actually texted his wife, well, that was a stinker. I'll be home soon. Mm. And the other ironic thing about the message, he actually said at one point, well, I know I'm running out of time. And when you think about the fact that that service actually lasted two more weeks, you know, wow. it was a funny, interesting thing. So normal service, but it was it was a great message on love. And one of his key points was just hypocritical love. We've all suffered from hypocritical love. Either we have given it or we have been recipients of. I mean, I don't know how he would have thought he whipped because to me it was it was poignant and right on. So some students lingered and and prayed. The, the chapel dismissed. Many left, but some of the the worship team continued to play, and then some other students filed back in. And then that just kind of started happening. Well, the other part of the backstory, there have been people around Asbury praying for awakening, outpouring, really probably, well, for a long time. I mean, you know, they had a big one in 1970. Mm. Um, and there's been a couple of other ones even in between then. And the 1970 one I was aware of, I'd studied about it. I had 
I had another interesting experience that leads to what why I ended up at Asbury for this particular outpouring. But there have been people praying. And so then when, when some students saw that things were happening, as I've learned, a couple of students even started going around to classrooms and saying, it's happening. Revival. Wow. They were using the word revival. It's happening. So, so kids are leaving class, showing back up the chapel. And before long, within, well, that afternoon, um, I learned. So a, a really good friend of mine who's on the board of, of, of the Asbury Seminary, her husband mentors that chapel speaker, and his name is Zach, and, and he's his coach. And so Zach called my friend's husband about 2 o'clock that afternoon. Chapel was at 10, about 2 o'clock that afternoon. He called him and said, hey, you might want to get down here. And I think he called for two reasons. One, um, I need some help. Wow. And two, this is what you've been praying for. Wow. Because uh, David served on a, a, a project, I think it's called the Awakening Project, mm. that prayers, prays for awakening mm. and revival. And mm. Uh, he's done a lot of study in that in that area. So a wave was definitely happening by that afternoon. And then, you know, as we all start to learn and see on Facebook, it, it just starts to explode. Then then people start coming from other campuses, um, other cities. And then for me personally, I had about three or four days of I could go down there. It's about two hours, 10 minutes away. Okay. And I was like, I could go down, get in line, but I'm like, I got too much going on. I can have, you know, then I, I can have revival here. You know, right. I, could, yep. I, I can be here. I, I, I can have my own awakening and, and be a better dad, a better husband, you know, better minister, all these things. But something just kept gnawing at me. And, and then also the realization that, um, you know, God does have a, he does have a thing for place, you know, mm. tabernacle, temple, mm. promised land, you know, with Jesus. He had places where he went to pray. And I'm like, this is an opportunity historic opportunity maybe i was having a personal journey myself and have been over this last year really and i felt that this would help culminate and bring some clarity to some things that i've been praying on and studying on so i left early morning on a monday monday the 20th got down there at about 8 45 a.m and got in line and by this time over the weekend they had started closing the, the auditorium down at 1 a.m cleaning it sanitizing and then reopening uh, at one p or yeah one o'clock the next afternoon for the general public. Hmm. Students could still go in in the early morning, so there was actually an, an opening time, which worked to my advantage from a line standpoint. You know, mm -hmm. not to be selfish about it. But, <laughs> no, 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 it makes sense. So there were probably about five hundred people in line by the time I got there. And of course, even waiting in line, and I knew this, it, it was sacred. You know, mm. it was it was its own awakening time and outpouring because everybody's just sharing their stories and their journeys and what brought them to this spot at this very moment and, mm. um, and lots of prayer happening even at that time. And, and then to get in, you just felt like you were in just in a truly a sacred atmosphere. And it, it was, you could feel it. It was palpable, uh, but, and, but very personal for me, you know, and very, very repentant as mm. well at that point. Yeah. I saw that you posted after, or as you were leaving, you, you said something to the effect of, I want to bring this with me. Could you quantify what you were trying to bring? Uh, the, the reports that I've read and people that I've sort of followed and known, they've said they've said just sort of peace and and things like that that they've encountered there. But what in your mind when you when you wrote that and said I need to bring this with me when I go? What what in your mind did you mean by that? Yeah, and there was something very personal going on with that, and the the, the short answer to that is I was eager to get home and be the change that mm. had just happened to me. Okay. You know, I was very eager to live out what just happened and, and very 
committed to not letting it be just a moment, you know, and a spiritual high type moment and, and not just keep it contained. And what what that change is, and it's still a process, is there's been this journey that I've been on since really Lent, Lenten season last year. So it's about a year because I remember this. I, I told our pastor uh, that for Lent, and I'm going to give up selfishness. Wow. And it, yeah, and then he said to me, well, let me know how that works out for you. you know, and which is exactly right, because selfishness is pretty much in our DNA. You know? yeah. But I had already been being, I was being convicted at several points. And mm. I mean, when you, when you get married, you realize there's a layer of selfishness you've never tapped into. When you become a parent, you mm. realize there are layers of selfishness you've never tapped into. You realize how selfish you could be, how... Mm how much you are asked to sacrifice. Um, but that I began to have retroactive memory, um, mm. you might say, of just other situations and places and things. And, and then, so, I, and I, all last year, I kept incubating on that. And then when we hit the new year, this year, my semi-New Year's resolution Bible study was a study on selfishness. Mm. I just want to study it myself. Mm. You know, the whole gospel message is, about self-denial, and, mm. but I wanted to study specific passages, specific situations and people. So I'm just creating my own study at that point and using mm. Thompson Chain reference and different things like that. And it's been wild, Jonathan, because it, I feel like I've had felt like an onion, you know, it's an overused analogy, but truly it's been layer after layer. And I've, I've gone from, okay, not just selfishness, there's entitlement. You know, and I've, there's an entitlement factor I've, I've realized I've operated mm. out of. Mm. Um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, just to use a quick example, I'm so stressed out, I need to eat this. Yeah. I deserve this. You yeah. know, you yeah. can apply that to any selfishness, entitlement. And, it's, and then the biggie has been self absorption. Mm. I've had this sense that, and this is what struck me with clarity uh, down at Asbury. Um, I've, and even in anticipation, of going down there i think and as the as i drove down the closer i got the clearer this became mm. i could pinpoint that and actually it goes back to interesting how we've been talking on this journey going back to the first round of breast cancer with dana when she was first diagnosed mm. you know the first time cancer enters your sphere you tend to kind of just circle the wagons and you you get a little bit self-absorbed and very insular and for good reason, you know, there's a survival factor, but it's easy to say no to everything, you know, and you're just, and well, what I've realized is that I circled those wagons and I've actually never opened them back up. Wow. You know, and, and that's been an interesting revelation because I've, I've been able to, you know, if I'm asked to do something, whether it's a ministry thing or a personal thing with a friend who needs something, whatever, it has to go through this process in my mind and I would have to build myself up to not resent that I'm going to do this or if I would do it, it would be through resentment. And my knee-jerk reaction is no, there's no way. I would sometimes have panic and looking at the calendar schedule, you know, things like that. And what I've realized, and I've coined a phrase, I've realized I've probably, probably been a functioning self-aholic. Mm. You know, I mean, it's just like I've figured out how to do this and maybe come across as giving or whatever, but in reality, I would just as soon either be on my bike or at home or with my kid, whatever. And I mean, yeah, there's preservation that has to happen and that, that's part of it, but it was an interesting revelation. And other areas of my life where I've had big conviction gaps, like high on conviction, low on 
disobedient, that's because I've just let myself become so insular and, and it's, uh, and I'm powerless to try to fix that. And so that all culminated in that whole time. So it even started when I went into the Estes Chapel, which is the chapel in the seminary. So in it, so Estes Chapel is a chapel right across the street from the line where you're waiting in line. And, um, Walked in there and just, yeah, felt just the immediate presence, which makes me cry. When I feel mm. God's spirit, there's immediate cry aspect. And, um, and it's that it's then when I started to really pray on this whole selfishness aspect, you know, as it relates to now being in this place, you know, mm. where, where things are, where, where God is moving and, and pouring. And, and so it's at that point that, it became very clear that yes, I, that you know, in essence, it affirmed I'm on the right track. This is something that I need to be peeling off, and, and at, at that point, a big, big chunk of the onion was peeled off, and then and then a confirmation. This is where I need to keep plowing ground, and so then when I'm leaving, and truly, I, it was very hard to leave. You know, you just didn't want to leave, mm. and um, I, uh, you know, I got a seat in, on, actually on the main floor. That's the other thing. I waited in line about a half an hour. Uh, well, I mean, not that. Uh, once the doors opened, it took about a half an hour for me to get up there mm-hmm. and then then was ushered into just one seat that happened to be available on the lower level right on the aisle. And I, I, I did have a hard leave that I had to get back here for something that evening. So, I, you know, I, I could have easily stayed there through the evening, you know, as long as they'd have let me probably. Um, but when I realized it's time to go, the, the, the motivating thought was, I now it's time to go be the change that just happened to me mm. and and live this and that that actually made it I became very eager to leave yeah. at that point it yeah. was an interesting turnaround I'm going to remember that term functioning selfaholic <laughs> I'll, I'll try to remember to give you credit for coining that I will mention that to a friend of mine today and he goes hey that's your book title <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there you that. go yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, functioning selfaholic and autobiography by Barry Schaefer. No, just yeah, kidding. Exactly. That sounds exactly. pretty. <laughs> As they say, I could write a book. I, I really could. Now, you and I got to catch up in October, and for those who don't know, uh, Barry is married to my cousin Jessica Rivera Schaefer, who uh, has an amazing story in her own right, and maybe someday we'll get her on. Mm-hmm. You, you remember telling me yeah. you hadn't been in the room yet where uh, where you had to say, was it where you had to say goodbye to Dana or where she got the diagnosis? Right. Well, the story with the room. So I, I worked as an, as a patient rep here at our local hospital for about three years mm. before the hospice job has had come my way. And in doing that, so, and that hospital was the same hospital where Dana was for a month before we came home to hospice. So we, we had hospice care at home. But prior to that, we were in the hospital for a month. That's wow. when things took a really hard turn. Yeah. We went in thinking it's just going to be a few days of radiation, stay in while we're getting that started uh, as a patient. But then it just, one thing just mm. kind of kept going to the next. And and uh, and it took about two weeks for me to suddenly begin to realize this is this is probably where it's going, you know, mm. and, um, in, a, in, a, in a hard way. Yeah. And so we were in, in what the same room the whole time, room 482. I always thought it was just such an interesting number. It's mm. kind of, a, you know, it's got a numerical thing to it. And, uh, I mean, I slept there every night. The, mm. the couch makes into a bed and it, it, they're silent. They're, they're private rooms. So that's good. But, you know, I, I was there over my birthday. I had to go out to the nurse's station on my birthday and say, Hey, by the way, it's my birthday. <laughs> you know, Dana was not remembering that it was wow. and, and different things. Um, a lot of a lot of sweet things during that time, but then 
So that was in 09. And then she went, when she came home, we were home for three months and then she passed here when our uh, passed at home, when I got the job to work as a patient rep at the hospital, that was about three and a half years ago. The whole thing, as a patient rep, you're basically the complaint department of a hospital, you know, so you're, you're called into situations, you're trying to help situations. I'm sure there's no complaints there at all. I know, right, exactly. It's a tough place. People are at their worst already and Mm. something has gone a little bit sideways. Mm. So, but I'm, I'm in rooms sharing, you know, working with people and families. And I kept waiting on the call of when I'd be called to that room. And I was, called to room 481, called to room 483. I was past that room a lot and had never been called to that room. And so then when I accepted the position with hospice, the day I told the the vice president of operations and the chief nursing officer, we all met together and I shared with them what I was doing and and they were they're very supportive and I I'd become really good friends with them by this time. And so we got to just chatting a little bit and chat. First thing we chat about was this all the how different people are networked in the hospital. And the VP mentioned that she used to work in a hospital with her husband, but no one knew they were married because they're in different parts of the building and just different things. Well, there was somebody at there is somebody at the house at this hospital who I worked with. Uh, she was an, a dietitian who I went to high school with. Hmm. You know, we hadn't seen each other since high school, but now we bump into each other in the hallways. You know, it's always fun. Well. Uh, so we met, and her name was Leanne. So we mentioned Leanne, talked about her. Then I brought up the story about us and Dana, Dana and me having been in that hospital four months. And VP knew that story, but the chief nursing officer didn't know we, I'd had that journey there. And, and so we talked about it, talked about being in that room. And I said, you know, I've been waiting on the call to get called to that room for a complaint, and it's never come. And I mentioned how I've been, I think I've been in every room of this hospital except that one. And then we joked about how that was probably got when I joked about it, but you know, that's probably God's maybe his providence and his protection. And, yeah. and I was like, yep, that, that's good. I, that, that's probably exactly right. And it was neat having that spiritual conversation with, with these folks and, and dear friends. Then I get back to my office within an hour, Leanne, the dietitian called, she's never called me, you know, because we, we, put, we just chat in the hallway and that's yeah. it. She said, hey, Barry, I've, I've been working with this family um, they're, you know, on some diet things, but they've got some concerns. I think it'd be good for you to visit them. And they're in room 482. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, there's a pause. She probably didn't know what the pause was. And then I said to Leanne, I said, you've got to be kidding. Oh, wow. And then I had to tell her why it was so significant, mm. you know, that she had called. And then it, because we had just talked about her. You know, with the, the, the three of us, and then um, and then for her to call to that room, and so and and I always thought if I get called to that room, I'm not going to be able to know. I'm I will not be listening to the concern. You know, I'm yeah. going to be just looking around. And, and luckily, I went into the room, and I was actually able to. I was able to do my work. Hmm. I was even in there for two or three minutes. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in room 482. Hmm. You know, and then I just began to just steal some glances and look at some things. And yep, there's the couch that I slept in every night, yeah. and all those. And it was an interesting, I, I, I put that in the God stamp category. Mm. You know, it was, it was almost, it was almost closure in a couple different ways, mm. you know, for the hospital job itself. Um, and then also just for that journey, for mm. that cancer journey, mm. you know, and, and cause it was, it was too funny really for to have just talked about it yeah. and then to get called into that specifically. Yeah. I love the way you see God's hand in in these God stamps as you as you mention it. Uh, last question, I, last question I have for you: What would you say to somebody who is staring down 
and facing something that they don't think they can face. You know, there, there are probably two things that come to mind right off the bat. And one is, you know, you, you will be and you are stronger than you think you are. You know, you, you, you are. And I, I know that to be true. People said that to me and I found that to be true. And it's, it's very true. And then, and then secondly, God is going to be with you. Mm. It, he will be with you. And, mm. you know, for me, I definitely had to struggle through that a little bit because I'm like, God, especially after Dana passed, yeah. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate that, but I'd rather have Dana here, <laughs> you know? But, yeah. but eventually, eventually, you know, the, the prospect of his presence becomes a very real thing, you know, and, and it really, um, it, uh, it, it, it's very palpable and it, it, it gives strength. And so, and then the other thing, and this is an, another element that I've actually been working on and studying on, maybe do some writing on it. You know, one of the hardest things about going through something difficult like this is how much waiting you have to do. You know, and, and you, you get a test done and you've got to wait for results. So you get a test done, you got to wait. And, and sometimes those, those results are going to determine your next path or mm-hmm. they're going to determine, well, is this terminal or not? Or, you know, and, um, the thing that I've also learned from scripture and is that waiting is almost like a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, waiting is so valued in scripture. There are mm-hmm. times when it looks like people are told to wait just for the sake of waiting, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm still in the middle of this. I haven't come up with any, you know, deep theological thing about it, but, it, but I've studied enough of it to know that when we are called to wait for something that God's going to speak to us during that time in ways that he may not normally speak, you know, and, and whether the news is good or bad, um, we're going to be drawn closer to him in, in ways that we never would have otherwise. And, and I would probably even say that even going back to the bigger picture of somebody facing something that they don't think they can face, they, they're going to be called to a depth that they would not have been called to otherwise. And the, the image that I've had in my mind that's helped me is like, you know, I'm in a pit. I'm in a pit I would rather not be in. But while I'm here, I'm going to take a look around, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to see strata that I've not would not have normally seen if I would not have been in this pit. And I'm going to see something about God. I'm going to, I'm going to draw closer to Jesus in a way that I would not have drawn closer to him. It's, it's the Philippians passage about joining with him in the fellowship of his suffering. You know, you, you have opportunity to do that now. That's a gift. In one sense, it's a real gift. It may not feel like it at any certain moment, but it really is a gift at that point. Well, it's been a real gift talking to you today, Barry. Thank you so much. The prospect of his presence, I'm going to take that with me. That's a that's a really, really special reflection. Thank you for being so open and honest and transparent, both about your journey as well as uh, what you've seen the Lord doing, and for staying up late all the way in all the way in Cincinnati, Ohio. Jonathan, it's it's, a, it's always a pleasure talking with you, and I appreciate your. You're insightful questions, and I, I love how you know what to ask, you know, and just be able to pull pull at the journey a little bit, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Well, you're very gracious uh, to give us so much of your time. We, we'd love to say there's a check in the mail, but we don't actually have any money. So if we ever print some T-shirts, if we ever print some T-shirts, we'll, we'll send one to you. But <laughs> thanks yeah, for right. good, good. Yeah, I'll take that. Thanks for joining us on This Week at Windsor. Some amazing stuff from Barry there. You obviously had a great time catching up with him. 
Yeah, I did. I told him uh, afterwards. I said, every time you kept talking, I thought, oh, that's a good title for the podcast. And then I heard, oh, that, well, that's another one. Well, I had like four. It was like four things that he said in there. I thought, oh, that's just a real nice way to capture the essence of something profound. And uh, something he does well is to really blend his own personal experience and telling stories, uh, the story of what God's doing, but to distill that into something that you can take away with. Uh, take away from that. And so, yeah, I'm really, I really hope that uh, you all enjoy listening to that. And I'll put Barry's contact details uh, for his ministry, Inward Ministries, uh, in the show notes if you want to check that out and get a hold of him. He's a great, great guy. Well, that's it for another week at Windsor, although most of it was in the U.S. Most, yeah, most of it in the state of Ohio. So go look at a map, find out where Ohio is. <laughs> but never visit. Well, <laughs> I've driven through Ohio. I may have gotten a speeding ticket in Ohio. That's probably the best way to see Ohio, just fast and straight through. Yeah. See you next week. Bye.